reading out of the NLT, the New Living Translation. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. For God's son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Christ, we believe in you. Help our unbelief. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ed. By the way, we're all delighted that you're here among us. God bless you. And good morning, everyone. Uh, If you need uh, a little extra coffee today, uh, they've made a little extra for you. I may have to get some myself. It It seemed very early this morning getting out of bed. I set three alarm clocks so that I would actually uh, make it here this morning. But we have arrived and uh, looking forward to a wonderful morning. Thank you, worship team. That's a great video clip. I've seen it a number of times, but it's uh, always awesome just to watch it again. Anyone ever said to you, are you sure about that? Are you sure about that? It's not the coolest thing in the world these days to say, I know this is for certain. Always the rejoinder is, nothing is for certain. And then a little well-worn phrase, you know what it is, except for death and taxes. We've moved away from the world of absolutes. I suppose if you're a mathematician, by the way, you would, you would love to stay with the absolutes and the certainties. I mean, after all, how can you make sense of life if one and one doesn't really make two? So there's a lot of second looks these days when people say, I stand upon this. This is an absolute truth. The eyes roll and the sense is that we have kind of a weird person in our midst who is out of step with life. But we will dare to risk the rolling of the eyes as followers of Christ. This is my king. Do you know him? Because we have some very strong rocks to stand upon. And people through the ages have found the rocks to be steadfast and sure. And they are the rocks of Scripture. They're scattered throughout this wonderful book that we read uh, every day. And this morning, we're, uh, we're going to just take a, a little hike. It's going to take us past uh, some of these solid rocks that, that hold our weight in Scripture. Pastor Norb started our trek last week. And let me just continue the journey. Uh, 1 uh, John chapter 5, 
and at 13 through the end of the passage, I'll just just kind of catch up uh, on what uh, Pastor Norb said, uh, and then we'll just keep finishing off this section, and then we'll weave our way right back to the brunch table where there's coffee. And when I get to the brunch table, that's an absolute for me, an absolute must. You know, John, the writer, was quite a prolific author. He wrote five different documents. They all got into the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of John, and then he wrote first, second, and third letters of John, and then he wrote the book of the Revelation. And when we come to First John, especially chapter 5, John is writing to Christians, and he is intent on helping them know for sure that they can trust God and that they can put the full weight of their trust in, in the certainties of life. And so what, what are the assurances that John wants to give the congregations that, that he is overseeing? As Pastor Norb said last week, the certainty of eternal life, first of all. The certainty of eternal life. We all need assurance from time to time. Uh, I, I remember visiting an aged pastor in the hospital one time. And after all of his years of ministry, some in pastoral ministry and, and <clears throat> some in secular work, uh, he, he was in the hospital and he seemed somewhat isolated from his family and uh, he was questioning who he was at age 80. <clears throat> and he was struggling with some emotional issues. And for a brief period of time, he needed assurance of his walk with God. Was this real or was it not all through these years? Do I have eternal life or do I not? And so as a pastor, he was struggling with that. There are times when we all need a little bit of assurance in our lives. John says, verse 13, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. It's not uncommon to doubt. It probably has happened to all of us that from time to time we have some doubts. So we need to come back to the rocks that we can stand upon. Here was a congregation that was in the hospital, spiritually speaking, that had been through a lot. And the loving pastor, Dr. Grandpa, Dr. John, the apostle, understands how they've been beaten up. And he reminds them of their place in God. He, he reminds them of all the promises that have accrued to encourage them to hold fast to their faith. You have something very precious, he told them. The moment you said yes to Christ, you have eternal life. And I write you again to assure you of your salvation in Christ. So what a great rock to stand upon, number one. Our assurance of our salvation in Christ that you can know. The second assurance is the certainty of prayer. We're not alone. That we can pray. We can express our hearts. We can listen to the still small voice of God. And John says we're confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything, and there's the qualifier, that pleases him. Verse 14. John the writer, John the grandpa figure, wants us to grow up Developing our confidence muscles. Are we more confident in our walk today than we were last year? 
I talked to a gentleman on the phone recently, and his words just blessed my heart. He said, Pastor Ken, I can tell you I'm much stronger in my faith today than I was when I started coming to TCC a few years ago. And when I came into a relationship with Christ and I followed the Lord in the waters of baptism, he said, I I just can tell that I have grown. And he's a very busy guy. But he said, I have developed a vital relationship with Christ. Wow, that just thrills me. That just thrills me more than anything else. He's growing bolder in his journey. He's growing more confident in his walk. So prayer is speaking to the Father. But also listening. Prayer is an awareness that we pray according to the will of the Father. Now, I'm like you. I I don't always know the will of the Father. I wish I knew every time I prayed, this is exactly how God would want me to pray. This is exactly what God wants. Well, some have said, cop out. You need to be claiming it. I would rather choose to say, we want God's will first and foremost. That's more important than any conclusion that I would draw. I have to pray that, Lord, that this would please you. And and it's particularly hard when, especially when praying for a loved one. I have stood beside a bedside where people have promised the sick person that they would live, that they would make it through this. And I can appreciate that, that we would want to encourage and we would want to just say, you're going you're gonna to come through this. I just have the confidence and I believe God's saying, you're going to come through this. But I've learned to never promise anyone they will be healed. Because you don't know if that's the Father's will. And as some would say, now, it's, it, isn't it God's will that everyone be healed? But we all face the reality that one day we must die? We lost a good friend in Kelowna last week, 70 years of age. I'm more and more thinking, that's pretty young. (laughs) A few years ago, I said, that's pretty old. I mean, it's pretty young, too early to go home. But the Lord said, you come home, Ron. I would have probably said to the Apostle Paul, God's going to heal you of that thorn because you can do better work if you don't have that thorn and I'm going to claim God's deliverance for you. And Paul would have looked at me and said, Ken, you're out of line. I prayed three times. And the Father has said no three times. And he would say, so the message for me is when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And so the message is relax, Live with the thorn because God is powerful in my life, in my weakness. I don't know for certain how God wants something to unravel. But I've learned this, that if I'm in step with my Father, things go a lot better. So, Lord, your will first and foremost. Your will first and foremost. Not a cop, but a recognition that I want nothing else but your will. What you can say is, I will join you in praying, and we will both ask for the Father's will, and I'm going to pray that you will have the assurance that God is superintending your life, and He is in charge. It can be yes, it can be no, and uh, 
it might be wait. But the Lord does answer our prayers. It might be, yes, that's, that's the prayer. It might be, no, that's not what I'm doing. Or it might be, the timing is not there yet. It's, it's not there yet, but it's coming. The third certainty is that we're protected throughout our journey. We're protected throughout our journey. Uh, John says, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. Now, the way that first sentence reads, we know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning. The implication of the sentence or the tense of the verb means habitually going on, constantly, without a break. It's a lifestyle. It's the way the person generally lives each and every day. We know that God's children do not have a lifestyle of constantly sinning. And John is saying we know that if we're a child of God, we do not live a life like that. It doesn't mean we don't stumble and fall from time to time. We all mess up. We would all like some do-overs, right? Some mulligans. And praise God by His grace, we do have them. But then we get up, we set our hearts on following Christ again. A follower of Christ doesn't persist in pursuing evil. This is not a lifestyle. Now, it's not our, not our jobs to set ourselves up as judges. But there is a sense where you can get a pretty good idea of what's happening in a person's life. If they persist in their sin. If their lifestyle is one of sinning. If the practice of their life is moving in the opposite direction of God. Regardless of what anyone might say or claim, the actions reveal the heart. Christians do not engage in intentional, willful acts against God. Why? Because all people who are genuinely Christian have been born of God. Born of God. They have God's Spirit in them. Now, there are times when followers of, of Christ, uh, as we walk along, we go through some rough times. We get off our game spiritually, and we blow it. But we know the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and He calls us back to Himself. And we get up, we shake ourselves off, we deal with our sense of failure, and we say, Lord, there's no other name. There's, there's no one else but You. I blew it. But please help me get started again with your grace and mercy and, and, and love. And you know what he does? He reaches out his hand and he says, Come on, my daughter. Get up. It's okay. We, we go on from here. I'm with you. Let's go. My son, I'm in your corner. I've always been in your corner. I love you. Dust off those knees and stand up and move with me. What grace. What love. But here's what I want you to notice. Here's the rock you can stand on. Here's what you can know for sure if you're a follower of Christ. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. Isn't that great? Jesus grips us. He holds us securely. Christ Himself sustains 
and protects us from the evil one. Now, John has this as a theme throughout his various uh, writings. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 12, is similar. He says, during my time here, this is the, the high priestly prayer, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. And do you remember the exchange between Jesus and Simon Peter in Luke 22, where Jesus said, Simon, Simon, uh, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and you, when once you have, been, have turned again, you strengthen your brothers. It's such an awesome thing to know that right today, that we are being protected by Jesus Christ. If only we really knew how much we are being protected by Jesus Christ. Since we live in Him, He protects us. And He walks with us. And He guides our feet. And He keeps the enemy from overwhelming us. Oh, if you only knew how much He holds the enemy back. I remember my days as a student at Seattle Pacific University. And uh, I, I was a student third year. God was doing some things in my life. And uh, I was stretching in my faith walk with Jesus. And uh, certainly the enemy knew that. And as a means of counterattack, the enemy put a huge, huge fear in my heart. I wanted to go on with Christ. But I felt the direct onslaughts of the enemy and the way he did that was through fear and a foreboding sense of his presence and darkness and attack. And I had to deal with that darkness until one day I came to say and realize he is doing a number on me. I do not need to be afraid of him. I do not need to go to bed at night concerned that the darkness will overcome. And in the name of Jesus, I will send him on his way. And I began to live in that reality. And I said, did, God gave the victory. Verse 18 says, we are kept. We are kept. The evil one doesn't lay hold of us. He cannot hold on to the believer. You have nothing to fear when it comes to the evil one. You have nothing to fear when it comes to the evil one. Look at chapter 4 and verse 4. I think Sid preached on this a few weeks back, if I'm not mistaken. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over these people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who is in the world. So the Lord taught me that I don't have to walk in fear. We're not alone. We, we don't walk the journey alone. We have one who lives in us, the precious Holy Spirit. And greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. The Holy Spirit is guiding us and instructing us. And day by day, we simply need an open heart. We need an open mind. We need a teachable spirit that says, Holy Spirit, you are so welcome in my life. Guide me today. Teach me today. Help me to be aware of how you're leading. Give me insight and wisdom. 
orchestrate my day, set up the divine appointments, I am so glad you're in control of my life. And then we have this phrase in 1 John 5.18 that God's Son, Jesus, holds us securely and the evil one cannot touch us. So faithfully, give your life to Christ every day. He's holding you securely. He won't drop you. He won't abandon you. He won't. He's caring for you. All you need to do is thank you, Jesus. Say, thank you, Jesus. I trust you. Friends, we are protected. Isn't that a great truth? A great rock to stand upon? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Now, verse 19 is a reminder for all of us to simply be aware of. We know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. By the way, I love the heart of John. He's just clear. (laughs) He's just straightforward. The world around us is under the control of the evil one. Let's just put it out there. Reality check. It's wonderful to be protected and sustained through the years of our lives because here is the reminder. The world around us is under the control of the evil one. Sometimes in our busyness of life, we miss that. We miss that. Isn't this interesting imagery? The world, listen, is not under siege by Satan. It hardly struggles against him at all. The world is under the control of the evil one. There wasn't even a shot fired in Crimea. Oh, no. The Russian soldiers were actually there to protect the citizens. It wasn't a takeover. It was simply protecting and caring for the people of the country. What a spin. No siege, just coming alongside. Forgive me for being a little political today. The world is under the control of the evil one. Said a little differently by a fellow called John Stott, the world rests in Satan's arms. Some like John Stott and uh, and others have taken the imagery a little further and suggested that the world has crawled up on the lap of Satan. And he holds the world on his lap. He holds the world on his lap. But no conflict, no conflict. It's not a struggle. It's not a fight on the lap. It's more like the world has grown comfortable in the lap of Satan. And that's how Satan works most of the time. He wants us to get comfortable with him. Let me take a little bit of liberty here and paint the picture. It's like Satan figures out how to lure us into his lap and gain our trust. And he does it just little by little by little by little. Not one big shot, but, you know, gradually gaining our trust. Who does that remind you of? Someone who might hurt our children? Someone who puts their best foot forward? enticing with a little candy, saying nice things, saying, would you like a ride? Gaining trust until he has them in a position to do them harm. A predator works hard to gain the trust of our children, 
to seduce them into a trusting relationship so they can abuse them, harm them, even kill them. Isn't that why we sound the warning to our kids? Don't get in the car. Don't go to their home. Be careful. Don't take the candy. Don't, you be careful with that stranger. And we drill it in and we drill it in and we hope the message gets through. But the predator tries to break all of that down and gain their trust. Now that's an image that we might think of when we read this verse. The whole world is under the control of the evil one. The whole world is asleep in the lap of Satan. There's no fighting. There's no conflict going on. No screaming and hollering. No punching out the lights of the enemy. No, just, just peaceful. Ah, oh, it's so good to be here. Calm. Trusting. I'm tired. Sleeping. What a dangerous picture. What a scary image. The whole world has fallen prey to the predator. Even, even thinking he has the best for us. This is where the real action is. Good fun, sexual adventures, good money, getting high, having fame and being powerful, having attention. I don't know if you saw it. They did a little study on teens, young teens recently, and I heard it on the journal. A message coming forth from many teens is that they want fame. They want recognition. And uh, they will enter into some precarious situations in order to grab some fame. And the interviews were just quite upfront and honest. Satan says, I can give you what I need, what you need. You just come on over here and sit down for a little bit and just relax, eh? I'll care for you, all of your needs. Wow, the world has become so trusting, so unaware, so willing to pull out the pillow and have a good sleep right on the lap of Satan. If you're a fish and you see some nice bait dangling in the water and you're hungry, you forget what's hidden in the bait. It's a hook. And when the enemy gets us in just the right spot, he reels us in. And when he reels us in and we see him for who he is, He's not the nice-looking friend anymore. And he never will be. And he never will be. He's not the nice-looking friend that we expected him to be. He is now the snarly-faced, cruel, merciless adversary with an ugly face. But here's the good news. We are the children of God. If we're being lured, Jesus Christ steps into the situation with us and he says, open your eyes. Be wise. Know what is happening here. And he keeps us from crawling up into the lap of the enemy. He grips us. He stops us. He holds us. The evil one cannot touch us. In fact, as you live your life being filled and empowered by the Spirit of God, you will be used, I believe, to wake up a lot of people before they get lulled to sleep. <coughs> they will watch you. And they will say, why don't you just go with the flow too? Why don't you live to please yourself? And maybe your testimony will awaken them. Friends, it would change the way we live from day to day if we just remembered that most of the people we meet are in the lap of the evil one. 
somewhere along the way, they've just, it's just happened. They don't know Christ. They're blind to the reality of who Jesus really is. They just think it's fun playing around. Hey, you only go around once. But wouldn't it change our perspective and our understanding if we realized that a lot of people, family and friends, have fallen asleep in the lap of the enemy and they don't sense any danger. They don't see themselves walking towards the precipice. But by our lives and with our prayer, may we have a, have a part in waking them up through the power of Jesus Christ. Amen? A solid rock to stand upon as followers of Christ. You are under the protection of Jesus Christ. And then the fourth certainty is our position in Christ. And we know that the Son of God has come and He has given us understanding so that we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God and He is eternal life. I'll be very brief. But we hear John saying, when it's all said and done, we come right back to the focal point of Jesus Christ. And knowing who he is in our lives. He reminds us that because Jesus has come, he's given us understanding. He's given us understanding. He's, he's opened our eyes to understand who Christ is. And our eyes have been opened to see the traps that have been set for us by the enemy. And we know what the enemy is trying to do. He's trying to lure us towards him. Our eyes are open to behold the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And we live in and, and walk in him. In his spiritual autobiography, Confessions, St. Augustine tells the story of his wandering, his painful quest to find true peace. And he searched in philosophy, and he searched religion, and he searched in self-indulgence, and he, served, he, he, he searched in self-effacement. And he found peace only when God found him. And so the famous prayer of Augustine expresses it well, what his own life demonstrated. And I think many of us relate to this. Here it is. Everlasting God, in whom we live and move and have our being, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So John says that to his various congregations. You've experienced people saying all kinds of things, all kinds of erroneous things, but, but you stand on the very solid rock when you know your position in Christ. That He is the Son of God. And people can come along and say what they want about Him, but He is the Son of God. He is the only true God and He is eternal life. And when you find that out, you find your rest. You find your rest in Jesus. Well, there we have it. We've come to the end of 1 John. Oh, we have one verse left. Yes, verse 21. This verse surprises all commentators because it almost felt like he was closing on verse 20 and then he starts up again. That's not unlike preachers, eh? You think they're closing. They're not closing. They're teasing you. They're begging for five more minutes, please. Yes, it's like saying, uh, you know, we're, we're going to wrap this up this morning and we're going to brunch and cheers break loose. We're going to brunch and 
then he starts up again. It's like he thought of one more thing. Oh, I've got to tell you this. But, but maybe, just maybe it's an awesome conclusion. A bit of a warning, a shot across the bow. But so graciously written. Dear children, my dear friends, my family, you that are walking with God, can I tell you one more thing? Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Doesn't that sound like a hundred-year-old grandpa wanting the best for his kids? Oh, yeah. You know, and, and as you journey through life, I don't want you to miss the very best. Can I just add one more thing he implies? Are you reading from the New International Version this morning? Six words in conclusion. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. What's an idol? Well, the New Living Translation did a great translation on this. Anything that might take God's place in your heart. And do you know the idols? Just think about this. Do you know the idols that are most difficult to detect? The ones in our own lives. I can look at yours and you can probably look at mine and say, oh, I think you have idols in their lives. We can see them in others, but ours are concealed by our own poor spiritual vision. And the glazed overlook that accompanies loving our idols. It's a good question for all of us. No matter how long we've traveled the road, do you have anything in your life today that takes God's place in your heart? Start the scanner. Let's do a scan. It's a fair question. Because it's easy to get our priorities out of line. We can get out of balance on a sport. We can get out of balance on a hobby. We can get out of balance on a job or a profession. We can check the stock market every hour because that's where our money is. We always put our money somewhere. We always put our time somewhere. We always put our hearts somewhere. If you want to know if money is your idol, Balance your checkbook. See where the money went. Check the online visa entries. If you want to know where your time went, look at your calendar, your electronic PDA, your, your planner. See where you spent your time. John simply says, don't remove God from the throne of your heart so that you worship something that isn't anywhere close to God. How do you keep things and fame, and people off the throne of your life. The best way to do it is to worship God. Put Him first. And Jesus said, all of those other things, they'll just tumble into place. All of these other things will be added unto you. When God is first, then you'll know how to handle your money. If your heart is to honor God with your money, you will say, Lord, this is already yours. Everything is yours. So how can I best use it to glorify your name? And when you ask that question and you are obedient, you'll have tremendous joy because you're sharing in the heart of God for ministry to the world. How do you keep the idols out of your life? Put God first, making him front and center, and pursue the worship of God and just watch the other place things tumble into place. I'm going to wrap this up. No, for real, for real.
bless you all. Uh, thank you for listening to the words of this amazing servant of God, the Apostle John. And uh, I hope you've gotten to know him just a tad bit better. Shall we pray? Lord our God, we come through Jesus Christ. You are the cornerstone of history. You are the anchor of our lives. You are the hope of the world. Our only assurance is in you alone. I thank you again today that we know you, we love you, and we desire to remain in your grip. Thank you for holding us tightly. In Jesus' name, amen.